0: The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. It's good to see all of you. Uh, my name is Dave Parton, the pastor here. and am uh, excited about studying God's Word, alongside, of course, the music and the confession time and communion and numerous things that we get to do every Sunday morning together. So um, thanks for spending your spring break Sunday with us here at Neighborhood Church. Let me begin with a word of prayer, uh, just asking the Lord and his spirit to help guide us as we study this amazing love letter to his church. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for sending your spirit. We thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and Uh, Father, be with us now as we study your word, may, uh, as it has for generations, uh, been um, sweet as honey to the lips of your children, and may it be uh, a light, a guide for us as we make our steps on the however many years and days you give us on this planet uh, before you bring us home. Uh, I do thank you for the gift of the many, many men and women that have continued to pass this message on so that we today in 2022 can know who you are. It's in your name. Amen. If you don't have a Bible or know somebody who would like to have a Bible, there's Bibles around the church. Feel free to use that this morning for yourself or if you need to take that home or give that to somebody, uh, feel free to do that as well. Make it a, it's a a gift. We're studying 1 Corinthians 10, 23 today. So we're just working our way through 1 uh, Corinthians, we are in the, the last third of this of this letter. It's been a sweet time as a church who studied the Gospels. We have studied Acts, and now we're studying letters to these churches that are being presented. It's been a blessing uh, to have the preaching team kind of work our way through this book. And um, today we're in um, verse 23. Uh, the sermon today is going to push us some, okay, and specifically when I say that, as if you're, a, if you're an objective thinker, if you're somebody who is uh, strongly justice oriented, you like things uh, when they're black or white and that's the way you kind of see life, then my hope for you today is you, as we look at this passage... <laughs> Um, that God will give you an extra portion of grace right, um, and I know each spouse sometimes you 're always thinking about the other person and when that gets presented so um, just this for all of us today, may we consider consider what it would mean if there is some grayness that you would need to be in tune with the spirit in making decisions? What happens when the right decisions? in this life, aren't clear. It's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So I think it's what, it's what Paul talks about today in the passage. Uh, for example, we'll just say an election. Say there's a, an election, and you're told by your parents and your grandparents that your, your right to go vote was paid for by the lives of men and women that have gone before you. So it is wrong to not go to the polls, right? But when you go to the polls... You don't know if any of these people on the list actually follow God or not. And you have to decide, I got to pick one. So you can't not pick any and you can't really know which one you should pick, but you kind of see where they're in life it makes it hard to know what is the right thing to do. Which one of these candidates does God want to help lead in this or that election? And these questions uh about what's right or wrong are they're, they're seemingly endless. So I'm just gonna list off a few examples. For example, I had a pastor friend last week text me and he said, there's some guys down the street that have invited me to their Thursday night poker night. What do you think? Other questions that have been asked and I've always also asked myself. After work, do you go drink at the bar with your coworkers? And if you do, how much Should you drink there and can you smoke a cigar or vape alongside them, or should you do that anytime? How much nudity is allowable in a movie before you walk out of the theater or shut off the TV? How many perverted jokes or profane words can you hear before you walk out of the comedy club or change the channel? How much gossip? Do you listen to before you remove yourself from the conversation or choose to turn the conversation another of the way or even choose to speak up for the person being mentioned? How angry or how loud can you be before it becomes sin and wrong? Is it wrong to support this company or that company that makes a great product but they support counter Christian ideals. So, as we study First Corinthians on Sunday, on Sundays we're coming to this um, kind of kind of the end of a section where Paul is talking about our rights, our liberties, our freedoms. How do you make decisions? And hopefully, when you come to church, your hope is one to remember what Jesus has done for you. Are you you're here to learn about Jesus? This this religious figure that Christians believe in that the Bible teaches about, but also maybe you come to kind of like be equipped to kind of learn, to kind of see like what is the best way for me to live this life. And my hope for all of us this morning as we study this passage that this will be one of those days that kind of you remember and you kind of start recognizing there is a better way to live life. There is a better way to make decisions, especially in numerous seasons that we're in of what's right or wrong. So let me just jump into the passage. We're going to read um, most of it for, at first, and then we'll go back and, of course, go through each section at a time. So read along with me. either are in your Bibles, and your phones are up on the screens. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatsoever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give things? So Paul begins in this passage with this: the freedom, the liberty we, we speak a lot about freedom from sin, freedom in this life, freedom to do things as believers. This is the beauty of following Christ. He has freed us in so many ways to live a life of fullness and satisfaction. Paul says these same statements of all things are lawful were very common in Corinth. But what he does, he tries to redeem these phrases of Corinth, Corinth and he, and he kind of connects them to Others, you see that here, it says, but not all things are helpful. That's helpful for others. Or, but not all things build up. That's build up for others. We can even see, as he says in verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of others. So, yes, you can. You are free to do many things, but not all things that you do are actually helpful for other people. So what he's introducing here is another person's, thoughts another person being in the picture kind of changes some things up so that's kind of where we're at today Paul is giving up his rights we've been talking about going to court we've been talking about food we've been talking about marriage we're talking about these different areas of life where it's like hey give up your rights give up your rights and he's not just saying it's helpful because there's a way to say well, if, I am, if I'm wealthy or if I have wealth, with most, most of us in the room are very wealthy compared to the world. Um, if we're wealthy, if we give our wealth away so somebody else is less poor, then that is good and kind. But that's not specifically what he's talking about here, being, being helpful. What he's specifically talking about, the good of the neighbor here, is their salvation. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about spiritual goodness. Paul is very clear. It is bad to not be a follower of Jesus. So, when we look at 1 Corinthians 10.31 on, we're going to see this theme again. Let's read, continue as we finish up the chapter. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So, I just want to put both verses up here on the screen for you. The bookends of the passage. To kind of just say, this is Paul's message for us today. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. You see where the, the idea here is their salvation. Not just that they would maybe have a little more food, or a little more money, or a little more happiness in their life. But they would literally... Be saved. That's having a relationship with Jesus. So our point number one today is other salvation should be a top priority. So as I went through that list of what should I do and what shouldn't I do. Those kind of interactions and relationships in this world. If there's another person at all involved, we should be thinking, is their salvation a top priority for me in my decision making? Do you see that in Paul's, this is Paul's message today. Another person's salvation is a top priority. So we have to begin with this as we lay this out of priorities. Because as we continue through the passage, you're going to be having scenarios in your mind that are going to feel confusing. Because it's not going to be just flat out Ten Commandments today. It's going to be, hey, in situations in life, what is a Christian to do? For example, um, I gave an example of a pastor friend of mine that texted me last week about this. Should he go play poker with his neighbors down the street? Right? You can see that. that's, that's a viable question, one pastor to another. Right? But when I answer him, I'm, I started with this sort of like this theme. Why do you want to go? What's your top priority in wanting to go? And the reason being is, if his reason was, well, I'm actually pretty sick at Texas Hold'em, and I'll be looked upon as pretty awesome amongst the neighbors. Or it could be, I'm kind of down on some cash. It's a quick way to get a little something-something. Or it could be, every Thursday night, that's a reason to get out of the house, right? Like, that's, like there's a lot of reasons, but what's the top priority? Like, the top priority is, okay, before we get into all the other variety of questions here, is their salvation a top priority in making this decision? Okay. So as we talked, he said, I want them to know Jesus. This is why I'm asking you. I don't even like playing poker. I actually lived in Vegas, and I never gambled when I was there. I was like, so you're probably horrible. and going to lose a lot of money. Okay, I got it. Got it. All right. So he wants to move from faces to friendships and then from friendships to family. This is what he wants to do. Spiritual family growth. So he's not seeking his own advantage, but that many may be saved. So, so far in the question progression, it sounds like if we follow the scriptures and even what Paul's teaching us is like, okay, we're on the right track. Paul brings up, This decision, as we read earlier, uh, not about playing poker with the boy in the neighborhood, but specifically about eating uh, food sacrificed to idols. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you've seen this has been a theme. In Corinth, uh, basically everybody's pagan. Like like there's very few followers of Jesus. And when pagans or non-Christians or most of the world... When they create food or have some sort of religion, food is connected to that religion, and and when people would um, sacrifice this food to their pagan god, uh, they wouldn't want to just like, you know, get rid of it all. They actually could were allowed to eat it, and we actually were allowed to sell it um, with a portion that didn't get they didn't burn up. So that's an issue for Christians. They're like, should we or should we not eat this food that's been presented to these false gods there's two areas you heard as you were going through there there's two conventional ways that a christian would come into contact with idle sacrificed meat okay because we're just gonna say as a christian you're probably not celebrating i mean this wasn't your morning sacrificing your eggs and bacon to a false god we're just going to say that. It probably didn't happen for most Christians. But for non Christians 2,000 years ago in Corinth, it was very normal. It's very normal. So, one way it was you'd go to the market, you go to your local market, and you'd buy food, and you would then have food that you didn't actually grow. And, and, you know, it's like it's your food now. The second way would be you'd go to somebody's house. You know, if you had friends and it was a small church, a lot of friends probably were not Christians yet. So, you're at people's homes that aren't followers of christ so ten twenty-five says this eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience for the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof earlier i mentioned there's a freedom in being a christian that you know what we've been studying this idol this pretend god is nothing it's, it's not it's nothing so it's okay eat it eat the food they're, pre- they're presenting food to a plastic, probably not plastic, they didn't have that yet, uh, ivory or marble. I'm not, good at, I'm not good at these little God things. I don't know. What, the little God things. Like, I'm, like whatever they're made out of these little wood statues, it's a little stick. It's, it's okay. The animal tastes good. That's a stick. Eat the food. That's, that's this process. That's, that's, I'm serious. That's what's the process. So when you're buying food in the market, don't worry about wherever the, the, the lamb came from. Eat, eat eat the lamb in all reality you know i would say um, it'd be hard to find food that's there's not, it's not tainted that's like that's like saying i listen to the radio right just like any songs on the radio and there's no sin involved in any of the artists lives good luck listen to a song good, you know it's like it's like it's like just it's but once you know about it and that's where he's going. Once you know about it, then something begins to happen. Paul told them over and over again, it's, it's free to eat this food. But once they begin talking about any connection with idol worship, then there would be a possibility of confusion with others. And by not asking, they eliminate the possibility that anyone would be able to interpret their purchase as some sort of intention to condone uh, this idolatry. Do you guys understand? It's like, it's like if, if I don't ask and you don't ask, I'm just eating meat, we're good to go. But once it's presented as this meat has been sacrificed to pagan gods, and you're like, you're a Christian buying their food openly, then it's like, oh, then there's confusion. And that's why earlier I said, if other people are involved, then you have to start recognizing there's decisions to be made. So before we start of forming opinions about this teaching, let's look at the next scenario that Paul brings up. That was the meat market scenario. Here's the second scenario in 1027. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, willing to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So do you see what happened here, something changed in the relationship about what is good and what is right and what is wrong and possibly what is sin. What would this look like for us? Well, I, here's an example. Say you have a friend who works in the meat department. At high and you're like, Yes, right? And then that person invites you over for steaks, and you're like, Yes. And then as the food is presented before you and your friend begins to talk to you about it, and begins to say things like, I'm glad you came over today, because on Fridays the boss doesn't come in, and I can take whatever free steaks I want for myself. And you start seeing his nod and his bragging about like, got a little something off the top at work. You can come over any Friday, free steaks for both of us. What just happened there? Something changed. Now as a Christian, you've been informed that your friend is bragging about stealing food from his company. Now it's not about, is the meat a sin or not? God's like, the meat's fine. The meat's great. Enjoy the meat. But now we have somebody that's not following Jesus offering stolen food to a Christian. This is the gray area. You have to determine, do you eat? Do you not eat? Is the meat evil? No. What's the sin? It's the, do you love this person or not? In all these scenarios, the sin moves from whatever the thing is, the poker night or whatever, to do you love people or not? Point number two today others' opinions should affect a Christian's actions. Nobody leave the room. Nobody leave the room. I'm serious, I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. Others' opinions should affect a Christian's. Actions. Verse 28 says this. But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, for the sake of their conscience. So Paul tells us what to do in these situations. He says, Don't eat the meat. This is our directive because. There's a person involved. There's love involved. Let's go back to my gambling pastor's opportunity. That's a funny way to describe him. We've established that his desire is to, you know, join this poker night in his neighborhood for their salvation. Here is my next set of questions for him. And hopefully, wives, you'll understand this. What does your wife think about this, right? Right? For all of us men, when a man asks you a question, as a, hey, the one who knows you the most and knows your struggles, that's a great question. So that's just a little discipleship gift for everyone in the room, right? What does your wife think about this, right? Next, what do these guys, not just the one who invited you, what do they think about a pastor coming? We don't know their background, and maybe you don't know the background either yet, but maybe you do because there's some people who've been burnt by ministers or pastors who've not dealt with money well. That's a common struggle for some people. And you wouldn't want to add to that, you know, confusion. Another one I asked him, this was straight up. I was like, what are the pot values? Because <laughs> that's a big deal. Like, I want $1,000 from a guy that I'm trying to reach with Jesus. Good luck with that conversation. Right? I Gambling with $1,000 is a lot. That's just my opinion. That's a lot of money. Now, 10 bucks for three hours with some friends, that sounds cheap. Right? It's, so a lot of it for me would be that sort of dynamic. Do you mind taking 10 bucks from a guy who drives a BMW? Not at all. Right? But I would say that's a good question. Because what does that mean? What is this night about? Is this night about people trying to gain Riches, or is it not about guys who enjoy hanging out with each other? Okay? So the second set was about thoughts, was about feelings, was about opinions. And each one of those questions, and of course there's many more, would change, is this good or bad? You may be asking why my liberty should be determined by someone else's conscience the same way that Paul presents that question in the passage today. And I think the answer is this. Because the greatest command is love God and love others. And it's above your liberties. It's above your rights. It's above my opinions. Loving others as a command means that when you stop loving others, you're in sin. Any step that you take as a believer where you're not considering others above yourself, you're in sin. I'm in sin. and I'm just going to read this. You may say, Dave, if this is true, then I sin all the time. And then I wrote... Lord, thank you for the cross. (laughs) Amen? Like, thank you for the cross. This is the expectation that God has put upon followers of Jesus, that we love others all the time over ourselves. And that's not about do you vape or not. It's not about do you do gambling with buddies or not. It's not always about these, like, who do you vote for or not problems. It's like, are you loving people? And if we get that right, then I think a lot of the confusion of what is sin in our world would be, would be small. Because we'd have such good relationships and community that we wouldn't have to worry about these kind of questions. Because we would always be caring for one another. So hopefully that's central for you today as well. So how do we love People, how do we live in this kingdom of God that God has put us in where it seems like there's so many questions of is this the right or wrong decision? And I think this next sentence is very helpful. And if you've been around the church for a while, this may sound good to your ears, but maybe in context, maybe it has a little more growth or um, brightness to it. First Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So our third point's the key question I would like all of us to begin asking in these sort of scenarios. Point number three, can you do it For the glory of God. Can you do it for the glory of God? This was the last question I asked my friend. Can you go and play poker with your buddies for the glory of God? When teenagers, when I was a youth pastor, would ask me, how far is too far with my girlfriend or boyfriend? I would say, well, how far can you go with your girlfriend or boyfriend for the glory of God? And then they kind of back away from that. It's like, that's good. Back away. That's good for youth. Back away. Back away. Back away. (laughs) Now this phrase, I'm glad they all sit together. It's perfect. Now this phrase may be kind of obscure for us. Like, like that question maybe doesn't like mean much to you. It sounds very religious, if you will. So let's just, Just look at a little bit. So what does it mean for something uh, to to glorify God or to do something for the glorify God? So the word God, okay, we got it. Glorify might be the confusing word, okay? So to glorify something means to to put it up on display, okay? It does not mean to make it better. It just means to put it up on display. Uh, During the Olympics, we just went through the Olympics, uh, the, the first place person, who is the sharpest in this bazillion of activities that human beings can do. Like cheetahs could win most of the time, but for humans, right? We have this thing. It's like, you're a human. You're really good at this. You're the best in the world. What do we do? We put you at the top of the podium and we cover you with gold and we play your song. You get a minute of excitement. Good work. Last 40 years of your life. Here's a minute. Good job. We're so proud of you. But what what do we do? We don't make that person a better skier, or higher jumper, or anything. All we do is we say, you've displayed something, and now we're going to glorify you. We literally glorify a human being, and I'm not downing this, I'm just saying this, the words we're using, like, stand here, you're the best. Way to go. You know, a hundred feet of skating, 200 feet of skating, three, I mean, it's a lot of skating, right? There's a lot of distances. But like, you're the best in that thing, and we're going to glorify you. So with God, we don't make God look better. We don't have to change God. God is pretty awesome. But what can we do as humans, specifically the church, I'm thinking of us together, how do we glorify God? Well, We recognize that Jesus Christ has ascended, but he said, but I'm going to be with you. I'm actually going to come back in the flesh in a way. And what is that way? What's the hands and the feet and the mouths and the the arms and the legs of Jesus as the church? So we get to act as Jesus for the world. And hopefully there's some puzzle pieces kind of coming together right now. The importance of why we need to ask if our actions can glorify God or not. Because if we have a bunch of people who are calling themselves the church, doing actions that are displaying false attributes of who God is, that we are no longer doing what we are assigned to do. But if we can keep saying, I can do this for the glory of God. I can do this for the glory of God. That it's not all about just the Ten Commandments. It's the life decisions being lived for the glory of God. This is why this question being answered in the affirmative, this can I do it for the glory of God is so important. We want want people to see the beauty and love and direction and hope that we sing about today that the glory of God provides for humanity. as we finish up, you may ask, so in what environments do I have to do this? And then Paul actually gives us a little list here in verse 32. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. So it's actually in all of your human relationships, those in the church and outside the church and sometimes we can be sympathetic to the lost person in the neighborhood because they're like they're kind of clueless i'll be willing to give up some of my rights because i want them to to know jesus and and their salvation but with each other we get pretty lazy and pretty judgmental so did you see what paul wrote in here on purpose to the jews to the greeks or to the church of god these are already christians Are you willing to give up your rights for brothers and sisters that may be weaker in the faith? I'm not saying that we always do this. I'm not saying that we we don't have conversations with fellow believers in hopes that helps them grow. But what I'm saying is it's hard for someone to grow when you're flaunting your freedoms around them. Have you been in an environment like that where somebody's just just, they're not kind. They're, they're like a jerk about their freedoms. You don't want to learn from them because you don't want to become them. Some of you guys may have been slow to come into church because you're like, I don't want to be a Christian like that. But my hope is, is that you will see that if you show sacrifice and care and understanding and listen and you have patience, then you actually can help somebody mature in their faith Galatians 6, 2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's this bearing, there's this carrying the weight of disagreement for a while to help others understand. This this is Christians bearing with one another. It's the Christian way. It's it's Christ's way. And, And Jesus said something about caring for each other with his words but also with his life. Let's read our last passage for today, John 15, 12. Jesus says this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus literally bore our sins. Jesus literally laid his physical life down to death for us. And what does he say to us as Christians with our, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also with those that are far from God? Would you be willing to lay down some of your freedoms, some of your strong opinions, some of your tones, and recognize that love should win? May we all repent today as we consider um, how often we don't do this. May we choose to live lives where we filter our decisions based on can we do it for the glory of God? And may we actually have people in our minds right now that we need to change the way we interact with them because we haven't been living this way. So in review, point number one today was others' salvation should be a top priority, right? Or as I just shared, their growth, if it's a believer. Secondly, Others' opinions should affect a Christian's actions. So sin isn't so far the eating the meat anymore, but it's you stopped loving people. Let's fight that sin. And thirdly, the question we can walk out with today, can you do it for the glory of God? Let's pray. Jesus, we um, we repent. We're sorry that we have not laid down our, opinions, lay down our freedoms, lay down our liberties, lay down what we think is right in the hope to help other person grow or help another person fall in love with you. Father, change us. May your word today, may your spirit today change us and make us more like you so we can be the, the, the picture of Jesus to the world, that we can glorify you as a body of people. It's in your name. Amen.